we went to see my mom recently, and while I was, I was visiting with, with there at, at, the, at the house, um, I, I don't know if, if you have this, but when, when I go to certain places, if I have food memories there, I develop cravings. Anybody else? No? Come on, you know what I'm talking about. We vacation. We like to vacation in the same places year after year, and so then we go to certain places year after year, and then there's certain dishes that you get only there year after year, and so when I when we pull up to those places, I get, I get food cravings. There's a Kill Devil Hills where we vacation in the Outer Banks. There was a custard place there. Sweet Lord Almighty. I can't even have dairy anymore, and I still crave it when we go there. It's, it's that good. When we were at my, at my, I was thinking about today, when we were at my, my mom's house this week, she used to make corn pudding. I don't know if you know what corn pudding is. If you don't, then that's because you grew up north in the Mason-Dixon line, and that's okay, but somebody needs to, to make you some corn pudding at some point in your life, and I had just such this craving for, for corn pudding this week because I had been at my, at my mom's house, and so it got me thinking about cravings. I don't know about you if you're a guy and you're, and you're married and you've got kids, but, but I've, I, I've, I've heard stories of, of, of cravings at pregnancy, right? As guys, we can't understand it. We can't understand it. But I know the look on someone's face when that craving comes because we've had three children. And, and, and Vanessa didn't have a lot of cravings, didn't have a lot of cravings through her pregnancy. But, but, but in our early years when we were married, we lived in the inner city of, of, of Richmond. And, and during her, her first pregnancy, I remember sitting in the living room and we were watching TV. And I kid you not, I can still see the look on her face where she looked up at me and she said almost these exact words, I need fried food from Captain D's right now. <laughs> now, we didn't even eat at Captain D's. I don't even think we've had a meal from Captain D's since. I did not say a word. I stood up, got my keys, and I left the house. And I was back in about 15 minutes. And when, when I went through the drive-through, what I wanted to say was, my wife is at home pregnant, and I need whatever fried food combo you think is going to stop me from having to keep coming back here 15 minutes later, right? So I ordered whatever looked the most fried, and then I added every fried side that you could add. And I walked in the door. It was looked like we were catering dinner from Captain D's for a dinner party. And, and, we, and, and, and we sat down and ate. She sat down and ate. I think I got a bite or two. But, uh, but cravings are real. Cravings are real. In our, in, our, in our small group, in our life group, Vanessa asked all the the couples were doing the parenting life group, what their favorite candy is. And some of you are going to start coming to our life group. You don't even have kids just for the candy. Every, every, every time at the life group, there's this, there's this platter of candies. I have not had a Jolly Rancher probably in 10 years. You can't eat Jolly Ranchers when you're 54 like I am. It, if, you're, if your teeth accidentally press on a Jolly Rancher, some of you are laughing because you've been to the dentist because of it. If your teeth accidentally create pressure on opposite sides of a Jolly Rancher, it is an instant bond that happens in your mouth that if you try to open your mouth, a tooth will be removed from your gum line. It will be removed. And I sat there and looked at those Jolly Ranchers. I haven't, I haven't had Jolly and I was like, you know what? I'm, I'm, I'm going to take a chance here. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna to live on the edge. 
I was like, I'm going to eat this Jolly Rancher and I'm not going to let it ever get between my teeth. And the next thing you know, I was three Jolly Ranchers in and I was, six, I was three for three with no teeth popping out. I've been craving Jolly Ranchers all week because of that moment. I was talking to a friend last night at a, at a gathering and they were telling me this hilarious story about how they had been to Italy and, and uh, they found this wine there that they loved that they knew they weren't going to be able to get in the States. And so they bought a whole case of it. And, and, and it's a military family. And, and so as they were going to travel back to the States, they said, there's a really strict weight limit on, the, on your luggage, just like commercial flights, but, but you can't pay a fee. You, your, your luggage cannot be over a certain weight. And so they were getting all their laundry done at the, at the base housing where they were staying over in Europe before they were going to fly back to the States. And there was a huge power outage, and all their laundry was soaking, sopping wet. In, in, the, in all these multiple washing machines. And, uh, and so they were just right. We're just hoping that the electricity is going to come back on. The electricity never came back on the whole night. Early in the morning, they were wringing out the clothes as best that they could because they were going to have to pack it all up. And, uh, and so they did not think about how much heavier their clothes were going to be. right? And so they put all their wet clothes in bags put them in their suitcase, and when they were getting weighed, that they, they, they were so far over the weight limit, and they had a decision they had to make. Are we going to leave this case of wine behind, right? Or are we going to start throwing away our clothes? And I said, what did you do? He, he said, we started throwing away our clothes. Because <laughs> we knew we could buy these clothes again in the U.S., but we could not buy that wine. Right? What, what, what would make you do craving? There's a craving that your body can have for something that you will go to great lengths to satisfy. Cravings. Your body craves, but just as your body craves, so does your soul. There is something inside of you that longs for things. There is something inside of me that, that longs for things. And I believe that one of the things that our soul longs for is this biblical word called goodness. This biblical word called goodness. Goodness is biblical language that we find in Genesis 1 to describe the feeling of shalom that comes from being with and for God. Let me say it again. Goodness is biblical language we find in Genesis 1 to describe the feeling of shalom that comes from being both with and for God. This sermon series that we are in, that maybe we're going to finish it up tonight, maybe we're not, entitled Shalom, is, is that there is a peace that God wants you to find with him, with yourself, with others, and with creation. We watched this little video on Shalom to launch the series. I want us to watch it again tonight because I believe this is one of the ways that you and I are called to be like Christ in this world. Jesus was always at perfect peace with God. He was always at perfect peace with himself, with others, and creation. And if we're going to become like Christ, which I believe that we're supposed to, we're not just supposed to follow Jesus to heaven, we're supposed to become like him along the way, that we're never going to become fully like Christ until we are like him in the way of peace. So let's watch this together. The word peace is common in most languages. People can talk about peace treaties or times of peace. It means the absence of war. And in the Bible, the word peace can refer to the absence of conflict, but it also points to the presence of something better in its place. In the Old Testament, the Hebrew word for peace is shalom. 
And in the New Testament, the Greek word is eirene. The most basic meaning of shalom is complete or whole. The word can refer to a stone that has a perfect whole shape with no cracks. It can also refer to a completed stone wall that has no gaps and no missing bricks. Shalom refers to something that's complex with lots of pieces that's in a state of completeness, wholeness. It's like Job who says his tents are in a state of shalom because he counted his flock and no animals are missing. This is why shalom can refer to a person's well-being. Like when David visited his brothers on the battlefield, he asked about their shalom. The core idea is that life is complex, full of moving parts and relationships and situations. And when any of these is out of alignment or missing, your shalom breaks down. Life is no longer whole. It needs to be restored. In fact, that's the basic meaning of shalom when you use it as a verb. To bring shalom literally means to make complete or restore. So Solomon brings shalom to the unfinished temple when he completes it. Or if your animal accidentally damages your neighbor's field, you shalom them by giving them a complete repayment for their loss. You take what's missing and you restore it to wholeness. The same goes for human relationships. In the book of Proverbs, to reconcile and heal a broken relationship is to bring shalom. And when rival kingdoms make shalom in the Bible, it doesn't just mean they stop fighting, it also means they start working together for each other's benefit. This state of shalom is what Israel's kings were supposed to cultivate, and it rarely happened. So the prophet Isaiah, he looked forward to a future king, a prince of shalom and his reign would bring shalom with no end. A time when God would make a covenant of shalom with his people and make right all wrongs and heal all that's been broken. This is why Jesus' birth in the New Testament was announced as the arrival of Irene. Remember, that's the Greek word for peace. Jesus came to offer his peace to others, like when he said to his followers, my peace I give to you all. The apostles claimed that Jesus made peace between messed up humans and God when he died and rose from the dead. The idea is that he restored to wholeness the broken relationship between humans and their creator. This is why the apostle Paul can say, Jesus himself is our Irene. He was the whole complete human that I am made to be, but have failed to be. And now he gives me his life as a gift. And this means that Jesus' followers are now called to create peace. Paul instructed local churches to keep their unity through the bond of peace, which requires humility and patience and bearing with others in love. Becoming people of peace means participating in the life of Jesus, who reconciled all things in heaven on earth, restoring peace through his death and resurrection. So peace takes a lot of work because it's not just the absence of conflict. True peace requires taking what's broken and restoring it to wholeness, whether it's in our lives, our relationships, or in our world. And that's the rich biblical concept of peace. You can find that on YouTube. Just Google the Bible Project, Shalom. You can find that. God wants to bring shalom to the activities of your life. God wants to bring, if we want to speak in the New Testament, in the, in the Greek, he wants to bring erene to the activities of your life. So, some of you, maybe this week, you literally thought to yourself, I hate my job. Now, if you brought your boss with you to church tonight, this might not be the time to raise your hand. But some of you this week, you, you were thinking to yourself, I, I, I hate my work. I'm miserable at what I do. 
because your relationship with your work is transactional, which is a secular concept. It is not a biblical concept. God wants to bring shalom. He wants to bring erene to the activities. Uh, He wants to bring it to your job. See, you, you and I, we keep allowing, I've done it too, some of you are doing it as well, we allow American ideals to displace and supplant a biblical worldview. This idea of a transactional relationship with our workplace is not a biblical ideal. It is not a biblical ideal. This idea of I'm going to bring some service and some effort to a place of employment in exchange for money so that I can now provide myself with a standard of living and things that I can enjoy is an American ideal. It is not a biblical worldview. I'm not saying that doing that is wrong. I'm saying that can't be the reason why you work. Is work transactional? Sure it is. Sure it is. But that should be a sidebar benefit, but it cannot be the primary reason that you wake up and go to your job every day. If it is, then you will not have shalom and erene in your workplace. God wants to bring peace, or what I would use for out of the, the first chapter of the book of Genesis, he wants to bring goodness to that area of your life. Goodness is a component of shalom and erene. As I said last week in the creation narrative, after each of the, most of the days, except for two, you can get that explanation from last week's podcast, where where God says it is good, he wasn't just giving commentary on what he made, he was actually talking about something he was making, and it's called goodness. It's the experience, the human experience that you and I have in this created world. It's part of shalom, it's part of erene. Some of you, you're miserable in your workplace because you're looking for your workplace to provide something for you that it cannot give. We talked last week about how the curse that was spoken over Adam and Eve was unique by by way of gender, but it was also collective for the human experience. Last week we talked about how you and I will suffer in this world because the goodness we found in relationship with God that Adam and Eve found with their relationship with God in the Garden of Eden will not be present with other people, although we will demand it. For, for some of us, we're overly demanding in our relationships. Marriages struggle and suffer, as we talked about last week, because people are looking for their husband and wife to give them something that's impossible to give. It's something that they're only going to find from God. This is part of what the curse that God was talking about over at Adam and Eve. When they were expelled from the garden and the relationship with God was fractured, they lost the goodness that they found with him, but they didn't lose the craving for the goodness in the human experience. And so we demand it from people and they can't give it. The same is true in our activities. You and I are going to suffer because of the goodness that Adam and Eve found in activity with God in the Garden of Eden before the fall will not be present in other tasks, although we will demand it. That's why some people live these hurried, busied lives because there is this craving inside of them for meaning, for goodness, for shalom, for erene that is task-based and activity-based because that was part of shalom in the Garden of Eden and now that we have been separated from it but the craving still exists. And so we pour out our lives 
in these jobs because we're hoping that it's going to satisfy that need, but can we just agree that Jesus is the only one that can reconcile us to both God in a relationship and in activity with him? That's why we read in Ephesians 2, 8 through 10, it says God saved you by his grace when you believed, and you can't take credit for this. It's a gift from God. Salvation is not a reward for the good things that we have done, so no one can, no, none of us can boast about it. This is talking about us being reconciled to God in relationship. But listen, it keeps going because Paul, in writing to the church of Ephesus, understood that this idea of goodness was connected to both relationship with God but also to activity for God, that Jesus died for us to be reconciled to both of these. That's why in verse 10 it says, for we are God's masterpiece. He has created us anew in Christ Jesus for what? So we can do the good things he planned for us long ago. They're good works because there is goodness in them because it's activity that he's called us to do. Jesus restores my sense of goodness with God, but he also restores my sense of goodness for God. For too many people, the presentation of the gospel that's been given to them only ever emphasizes the reconciliation of their relationship with God. But Paul says, hey, don't forget, there's also a reconciliation of activity with God on his behalf for him. Genesis 1:28 reads this way. Then God blessed them and said, be fruitful and multiply, fill the earth and govern it, reign over the fish of the sea and the birds in the sky and the animals that scurry along the ground. It is interesting here that it says God blessed them and said, and then everything that follow is an activity statement. He's saying, I'm blessing you to do things for me. This idea of blessing them means that they're commissioned for it. He's giving his blessing to them for these specific activities. Pre-fall. Genesis 2.15, the Lord placed the man in the Garden of Eden. Why? To tend and to watch over it. That's activity. Genesis 2.18-20, then the Lord God said, it is not good for man to be alone. I will make a helper who is just right for him. So the Lord God formed from the ground all the wild animals and all the birds of the sky, and he brought them to the man to see what he would call them. And the man chose a name for each of them. Activity. He gave names to all the livestock and all the birds of the sky and all the wild animals, but still there was no helper suitable for him. And then we know he creates Eve. There is activity that we see in the Garden of Eden while it was still perfect. And that there was meaning and purpose. There was shalom. There was arene that Adam and Eve found by being active for God. You and I are born into this world as descendants of Adam and Eve, which means that we are born into this world separated from God, our relationship with God. We're born into a fractured relationship. We're born into this world with a fractured relationship with him, but also for him. We're separated from him relationally, but we're also separated from him from our purpose of activity because God has created us to do good things for him, just as Paul says in Ephesians chapter 2. Jesus died on the cross so that we could be reconciled to God, so we could find the goodness and the meaning and the shalom and the arene that comes to our soul when we know God is our Father. And when we know God is our Father and we invest in that relationship and develop intimacy with Him, we stop making those demands of other people because now God satisfies that part of our soul that only He can satisfy. But if you've made a vow of devotion to Christ, 
and you're investing in that intimate relationship with him, I would ask you, have you also considered the other part of what Paul's talking about here in Ephesians 2, that you were created for good works. There is activity that he wants you to find that was commissioned by God, and when you give yourself to that, that activity, there is goodness that will begin to satisfy that longing. Your soul also longs to be doing the things that God created you to do. This is part of the reason why we're given this story early on when Jesus was just a little boy and he got separated from his family at the end of Passover and there's a massive crowd so it was commonplace that families would reconnect at stopping points. There was a very communal society and, and then when they got to that stopping point they realized Jesus wasn't with them and when they went back they, he was found amongst the religious leaders teaching them just as a child and what did he say? Did you not know that I had to be about my father's business? Are you about your father's business through the activities of your life? Activity plus God said equals the good works that you've been called to do. Activity plus God said equals the good works that you have been called to do. Genesis 2, 18. Then the Lord God said... When you look at what I'm going to call the most activities of your life, I'm calling them the most activities because it's where you spend the most time, it's where sometimes you spend the most money, it's where you have given the most emotional investment, it's where you have given the most energy and the most thoughts of your life to. I would say those are most activities. And the most activities of our life should have a sense that we are doing them because we've been commissioned by God. Let's just talk about your vocation alone for the sake of time. One-third of our lives is spent working. One-third. I'm going to say that qualifies for most. One-third of our lives. That's a most activity. Another statistic estimates that we will spend 90,000 hours at work. Some of you felt like you spent that just last week. I'm not saying that you should put in your two weeks notice on Monday. What I'm saying, though, is that you should begin a conversation with God. God, is this what you created me to do? That's what I'm asking you to do. Can you find a God said over your life for this central activity of your existence? And can I just tell you that God calls people to do all kinds of things for him? Bus drivers, plumbers, electricians, construction workers, entrepreneurs, real estate agents, teachers, administrators, executive, business owners. This idea that God said only has to do with being a, quote, pastor and a missionary overseas, yet yeah, that's an American ideal too that's broken. God calls us to activities for him for two reasons. One is because you were created to serve other people. And secondly, that's two. One, you were created to serve other people. And secondly, and secondly, you were created to be an ambassador for him amongst a certain people. Every job that he calls us to should be able, we should be able to in some way 
explain how we are providing a service to others. Because when you recognize that your job is serving others in some capacity, right, it, it brings meaning to you. One of the greatest jobs that people will ever be called to is custodial work in an elementary school. I'm not kidding you. I'm not kidding you. People that give their lives to create a clean and safe environment for young children to learn. I don't know about you, but that sounds to me like something that God would call people to do. If your view of work is transactional, you might hate the very job that God created you to do. If your view of workplace success is through comparative analysis with other people getting promoted, not getting promoted, money that they have, money that they don't have, standard of living they have, standard of living. This is what Jesus was talking about when he said, you store up your treasures in heaven. Because one of the ways you store up your treasures in heaven is to be faithful to the thing that he put you on this earth to do. And he put all of us on this earth to serve other people in some way. To serve other people in some way. Activity plus God said equals good works. Has God called you to do the thing that he's called you to do? Because once you can assign God's blessing to it, I'm telling you, it will change your outlook. It doesn't mean that it's going to make it easy. It doesn't mean that it will always make it pleasant. But what I can tell you, it will make it shalom. It will make it a rene. It will begin to bring goodness to your soul because you will look at that job in a whole new light. Not only has he put us on this earth to serve other people, but he has put us on this earth to be ambassadors for him. 2 Corinthians 5, 17 to 21 reads this way. This means that anyone who belongs to Christ has become a new person. The old life is gone and a new life has begun. And as all of this is a gift from God who brought us back to himself through Christ. Again, this is Paul writing similar themes that we see to the church of Ephesus. He's writing here to the church of Corinth. For God was in Christ, reconciling the world to himself, no longer counting people's sins against them. And he gave us this wonderful message of reconciliation. So we are what? Christ's ambassadors. And God is making his appeal through us. And we speak for Christ when we plead, come back to God. For God made Christ who never sinned to be an offering for our sins so that we could be made right with God through Christ. And what was Paul saying here? Being made right with God through Christ so our relationship with him could be restored and reconciled. But Paul's also talking about so our activities can be reconciled and restored. So we can begin to give our lives to the things that he's called us to do. And one of the things that he's called us to do is to be an ambassador for him. That God puts us in different jobs in different places because you and I are supposed to there be a living appeal for Jesus himself. This virtue list from the five great growth lists in the New Testament, authentic, content, hospitable, truthful, persevering, wise, hopeful, loving, joyful, peaceful, patient, kind, gentle, faithful, humble, grateful, merciful, honorable, principled, selfless, fervent, forgiving, believing, and self-controlled. How many of you were that in your workplace this past week? You're like, no, Fred, we already told you. We were miserable. 
God wants us to be an ambassador for him. And one of the ways that we are an ambassador for him is for the character of Christ to be revealed to that place through us, through us, through us. The difference between a busy life and an active life is determined by how much your list is assigned and blessed by God. Let me read that part again. The difference between a busy life and an active life is determined by how much of your list is assigned and blessed by God. Are your activities assignments or are they desperate attempts at creating your own feeling of goodness through busyness? Are your activities assignments or are they desperate attempts at creating your own feelings of goodness through busyness? Chris, I'm not going to have the band come back up. I'm going to take the rest of the time. There is a peace waiting for me. There is a peace waiting for you. There is shalom waiting for you. There is shalom waiting for me. There is a rene waiting for you. There is a rene waiting for me. There is goodness waiting for you. There is goodness waiting for me in the activities that God has created us to do for him. There is a peace waiting for me in the portion of good works that God has planned for me. You were created, I was created for many reasons, but one is because of this. There is a portion of activity, there is work that he wants you to do for him. Jesus died on the cross to reconcile you with God in relationship and for God and for God in activity. Was Jesus active or was he busy? Was Jesus active or was he busy? John 4, 33 to 34 Did someone bring him food while we were gone? The the disciples, right? They're awesome. We laugh at them. Can we just agree? They did 10 times better than any of us ever would have done. Did someone bring him food while we were gone? The disciples asked each other. Then Jesus explained, my nourishment comes from doing, that's an activity word, doing the will of God who sent me and from finishing his work. Nourishment to him nourishment, activity. John 5, 17 and 19. But Jesus replied, my father is always working, and so am I. Verse 19. So Jesus explained, I tell you the truth, the son of man can do nothing by himself. He does only what he sees the father doing. And whatever the father does, the son also does, activity. John 17, 4, the last one. I brought glory to you. This is Jesus praying. Listen to what he says. I brought glory to you here on earth by completing the work that you gave me to do. I want to be able to say that at the end of my life. I want you to be able to say that at the end of your life. We bring glory to God in lots of ways. But one of them is through work. One of them is through activity. And the way that we bring glory to God through the activities of our life is that all of our activities follow after a God-said moment, at least the most activities, the ones that consume most of your time and your thoughts and your energy and your emotions. Let's make sure that they come into our lives because God said, because God blessed, because we have a sense that God created us. This is an important message and an important series for us because Shalom, as we've been sharing with you, is the final installment of our comprehensive discipleship model 
First century people, I've been reading this statement for many weeks now, first century people who professed faith in Jesus as the Messiah were identified by names that placed a greater emphasis on becoming like Jesus and not just believing in Jesus. First century people who profess faith in Jesus as the Messiah were identified by names that placed a greater emphasis on becoming like Jesus and not just believing in Jesus. Shalom is about the way of Jesus' peace. We did a series this year called Doxa, which is the way of Jesus' belief. And then we did a series called Shema, which is the way of Jesus' obedience. And then, of course, you know, Praxis, the way of Jesus' character, the way of Jesus, his character, his obedience, his belief and his peace. We want to be a church that helps you walk in all of those ways, in all of those ways. Stand with me as we pray. You know, if you've been around this church for any amount of time, you know that Psalm 2713 is one of my life verses. It's one of the verses that defines my whole outlook on my relationship with God and my relationship as, as just with the body of Christ and, and, and as, a, as a Christian. And, and the verse is this, I would have lost heart if I had not believed that I would see the goodness of the Lord in the land of the living. I would have lost heart if I had not believed that I would see the goodness of the Lord in the land of the living. And, and I've always thought of that word goodness as being the, meaning better meaning that there's going to be better things to come. And I think it does mean that. I, I do. But, but now I realize that's only part of it. It's only part of it. From doing this series and doing this study, what I realize now, part of what the psalmist was saying, I would have lost heart if I had not believed that I would see the goodness of the Lord in the land of the living. What they were saying was, there is meaning in this life that sustains us, even in hard times. There is meaning. There is shalom. There is a reine. There is peace. So, Father, I pray for every person that's here tonight. That they would just pause the busyness of their life. Maybe for some of them, they would just pause the hurriedness of their life. And you would just breathe on them in this moment like you breathed on Adam and Eve in the beginning of time. And you would just fill them with your goodness. Fill them with your goodness. I I pray that supernaturally, even now, that they would have such a sense of just shalom flooding their soul. That that maybe for many people right now, maybe they're not even in this room, maybe they're watching from home, they cannot, there are no earthly words to describe what's happening in them, but that longing and that craving and that desire that has eluded them for some of them for a lifetime, that it would, that it would just begin to be satisfied because there is a rene that is coming upon them. The peace of your Holy Spirit, the peace of your presence, the peace of your goodness, the peace of your shalom. And I pray that that feeling that they're having right now would inspire them to pursue a deeper relationship both with you and for you. With you in relationship, but for you in activity. Jesus, we want to walk in your ways. Not just in some of them, but in all of them. And Jesus, I pray for the person that might be here tonight or the person that's at home who, who maybe 
This idea of being reconciled to you relationally is a new concept for them. Maybe there's somebody that's watching that was invited by a friend. Maybe there's someone here in this room tonight, Father, that's here as a guest. Maybe they've been around church their their whole life, but there's just never been that moment where they have made a vow of devotion to you, Jesus. So I pray that as this service closes, Father, that your Holy Spirit is just going to prompt them to come forward to pray with one of us. If they're watching online, I pray, I pray that they would not just log out and go about their life, that they would click that prayer button on whatever platform that they're in and go go into a private room and, and let someone begin to talk with them about what it means to be reconciled to you, Father, through Jesus. By grace alone, through faith alone, and Christ alone. May our hearts be captured by the good news of the gospel even still today. In Jesus' precious and holy name we pray. Come on, and everybody said together.